I have done the same thing. So. Good morning. You can take your Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter of Genesis this morning. Genesis chapter 4, we'll be getting there. And as we begin this morning, begin with a question. What is faith? What is faith? Andrew Blackwood said years ago that faith is responding to what we know about Jesus. Not a bad definition. I, I like that thought. Other people may say that faith, well, faith is just belief. Or faith is believing in something that you can't see. That's good too. I like this definition that faith is taking God at His word. Taking God at His word. But you know, we really don't have to wonder about a definition for faith because the Bible gives us one, a very specific one, doesn't it? Hebrews 11 and verse 1, where it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the biblical definition of faith, and that's the best definition of all because that comes right from the, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. God has promised us eternal life in heaven, right? Yeah. Do you have an assurance of that? Yes, you do. The assurance of things hoped for. Have you ever seen heaven? But you have faith that it exists, right? The conviction of things not seen. Faith. Now, how do we obtain faith? Are we born with it? How do we acquire it? Well, again, the Bible answers that question very specifically. In Romans 10, verse 17, Paul writes, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Some of your versions of the Bible may say, uh, hearing by the word of God. Some of the ancient manuscripts have theos at the end instead of Christu at the end. But, but again, the thought is the same. Faith comes from hearing what God has to say, what God says to do, what God commands. A person hears what God says to do, and then he, he obeys. He does it. That's taking God at His word. Faith comes from hearing and then carrying through on what we hear and responding appropriately to what we hear. So remember that because that plays an important part in the message today. Now last Sunday I began a new series of messages on famous people of the Bible. These are real people, all right? These people actually existed and lived upon this earth. These are not fairy tale characters or not just characters in a story, but actual people. People that we would know nothing about had not the account of their lives been included in the pages of Scripture. Last week, we looked at the very first two, Adam and Eve, and we noted that Adam is not included in the list of faithful people in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, why is that? Well, probably because Adam is best remembered for his sin and the consequences of that sin. Adam heard what God said to do, right? Adam heard that. Faith comes by hearing, okay? Adam heard what God had said. 
God had said what? Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you'll die. Adam heard that. But Adam didn't act in faith. He didn't carry through appropriately with the right response. And after his wife ate of the fruit of that tree, after being deceived by the serpent, she then gave some to Adam, who was right there with her, and he ate. That's not righteousness. That's not doing what is right. That's not being faithful. So then they had to give an account to God for their actions. They heard God walking in the, cool, the garden in the cool of the morning. They had tried to cover themselves with leaves. And God said, where are you? And they said, we hid because we were naked. How did you know you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat? Well, the woman you gave me gave me some and I ate. <laughs> Pass the buck, Adam. And Eve passed the buck, said, the serpent deceived me, and so on. And they had that encounter with God. And the result, death. Because the wages of sin is death. God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. He stationed cherubim at the entrance. And the flaming sword, which turned every direction, guard the way to the tree of life. And that's how Genesis chapter 3 ends. So as we come to Genesis chapter 4 this morning, let's take a look at the first 16 verses of this chapter. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone finding him should slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Go back to the last part of verse 4 into verse 5 where it says, The Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. 
Now, the obvious question that comes to mind is what? Why? Yeah. Why not? Why didn't God accept Cain's offering? Why did God accept Abel's offering but not Cain's? And the most common answer that comes from most people is this. It was because Abel brought a blood offering and Cain did not. And that may well be part of the answer. Now understand that the Bible does not say God told them what kind of offering to bring. That doesn't mean God hadn't told them. It just simply means the Bible doesn't record that. Okay. But again, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark on this. The Bible gives us the answer to the question, why didn't God accept Cain's offering when he did accept Abel's offering? Why? Well, the answer is in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter and verse 4. Because it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. So the reason why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's is what? Faithfulness. He did it by faith. And Cain evidently did not. Now again, how does one obtain faith? Faith comes by hearing hearing by the Word of God, okay. Since Abel acted in faith, what does that tell you? It tells you that he heard the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. He acted in faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. So evidently he had heard the Word of God as to what God expected, whether God spoke to him personally or him and his brother at the same time, or whether the word came through their father Adam. But evidently he had heard the word of God, and he acted accordingly. He did it by faith, which comes by hearing the word of God. Cain, on the other hand, I believe, heard the word of God, or heard what God expected, and did not obey it. He did not act in faith. So had God told them to bring a blood offering? Well, again, the Bible doesn't say, but it may be very likely that God had told them that. Had God told them how much to bring? Probably so. And Abel obeyed, and Cain didn't. And as a result, God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. And so Cain becomes very angry, it's interesting to me that in verse 8, Cain told Abel his brother. Evidently told his brother about the conversation God had just had with him. Hey, if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up and I'll accept your offering. But if you don't, sin's crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, but it didn't make a difference. And so when they went to the field... He rose up and murdered his brother. Now, we read the account of God confronting Cain with his sin, with that murder of his brother, and how Cain is cursed and 
leaves and goes to another place. That, in essence, is in a nutshell, that's the story of Cain and Abel. Now, what lessons can we learn from that? What lessons can we learn from Cain? Because there are always things we can learn, even from a bad example. I mean, we learn things that we shouldn't do, things that we shouldn't imitate. From Cain, we learn that the old saying is true, that says sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Boy, that is definitely true, certainly proved to be true in Cain's life. Notice where sin took Cain in verse 8, because he didn't master sin. In verse 8, it took him to the field where he rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And from there, sin took him away from the presence of the Lord. As it says in verse 16, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And then he went and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That's what sin will do in your life. It will take you further than you want to go. It'll take you away from the presence of the Lord. Sin always separates us from God. And repentance is what is needed so that we can come back to God. Sin will take you further than you want to go. But it'll also keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin kept Cain from the presence of the Lord the rest of his life. I mean, notice again verses 11 through 14. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it'll no longer yield its strength to you. It shall be a vagrant and a wonder on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from thy face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wonder on the earth. It'll come about, whoever finds me will kill me. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. As far as we know... Based on what the New Testament says about Cain, he never repented. He never came back to the Lord. God told him in verse 7, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't do well, sin's crouching at the door, its desires for you, but you must master it. Long story short, Cain didn't do well. He didn't master sin. Sin mastered him for the rest of his life. Here's what the New Testament says about Cain. In 1 John 3, 11 and 12, it says, For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of what? The evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So the Apostle John says, Cain was of the evil one. He allowed sin to master him, and as a result, he murdered his brother. Indeed, his deeds were evil. And then in Jude, Jude verse 11, Jude's talking about people that are ungodly, people who turn the grace of God into a license for immorality, people who deny Jesus, people who will undergo the punishment of eternal fire, people who defile the flesh, reject authority, reject angelic majesties, people who revile things that they do not understand. Doesn't that sound like our world today? And then Jude says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. They've gone the way of Cain, meaning what? That they've rejected the word of the Lord. 
that they have allowed sin to master them. Indeed, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. How much did Cain's sin cost him? Well, it cost him his home because he settled away from his family in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It cost him his livelihood, his living, because he'd been a tiller of the ground. He knew how to raise produce. But now, God says in verse 12 that the ground would no longer yield its strength to him, that he'd be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So he loses his home. He loses his livelihood because the ground's not going to produce for him anymore. But that's not the worst thing. Because I believe, based on those two verses in the New Testament, that it cost him his soul. Sin cost him his soul. Now, I may be wrong, but I really don't expect to see Cain in heaven. Do you? And how sad. God gave him the opportunity to walk by faith and to do what he commanded. God gave him the the opportunity to repent there in verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you don't, sin's crouching at the door. It desires to have you. You've got to master it. Cain had the chance. God was, was telling him, urging him to do what was right, and Cain refused. So we need to learn from Cain that no matter how sincere we may be in our beliefs, if they're not in accordance with God's commands, We'll forfeit our soul. Now Abel, on the other hand. Abel is presented as someone whose example we need to imitate. He lived and walked by faith. He heard God's word, faith cometh by hearing, and he did it. He obeyed. He, he brought the right sacrifice. He brought the right amounts. He brought the right heart. He brought the firstlings of his flock. He brought their fat portions. He did what God told him to do. That's living by faith. He did what was right. That's being righteous. Abel accepted God's word. He accepted God's will. He accepted the blood atonement. He even died for his faith in these things. Abel is so much like Jesus. In fact, he is a type of Jesus. We see a fulfillment in Jesus of some of the things in, in Abel's life. Consider this. Both Abel and Christ suffered for righteousness' sake. Both Abel and Christ provided an acceptable sacrifice. Both offered offerings that God respected. Both were envied because of their righteousness. Both were slain by their brothers in the flesh. Both men's blood speaks. Abel is a type of Christ. And there are two, there are more than two, but what I call two main references to Abel in the New Testament. And the first one we've already mentioned, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Why? Because he did what was right. God testifying about his gifts, the sacrifice he brought, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. Cain shed his brother's blood, and God said, your brother's, your brother's blood cries out to me. 
from the ground. How is it? He said it. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground in verse 10. So what does the blood of Abel say? Well, the blood of Abel says that God takes account of the injustices that are inflicted upon innocent people. And one day they will be avenged. Have you ever known innocent people? They go through things that were not fair and that they didn't deserve at the hands of men? Sure. Are those wrongs ever going to be righted? Yes, they will. Because God has declared a day of judgment. And God's going to settle those accounts. He has appointed a day in which He'll do that. And nothing can show the necessity of such a day more than the blood of righteous Abel. That's another way he's referred to in the New Testament. The righteous blood of Abel. No punishment of Cain would bring his brother back from the dead. Abel went to the grave while Cain went out to build a city. So how can justice ever be had for Abel without a judgment day? And indeed that day will come. The innocent blood of Abel warns everyone God's going to have the last word and that there will be a day of judgment. That's one thing the blood of Abel tells us. The blood of Abel also says that it does make a difference how we worship God. We're to worship God and follow Him as He has commanded, not as we think it should be. We must do what He says, not as we want. Cain did what he wanted, not what God said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But there are a lot of people in this world who think that they can make it to heaven without Jesus. Will they? Nope. They may be very sincere in their beliefs, but they'll find out they're sincerely wrong. Without Jesus, no man will be saved. There are people trying to get to God, trying to come up with another plan of salvation other than the one that's presented in the Scripture. It won't work. God specifically told Abel and Cain, here's what I want. He's done the same for us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, right? What does God said do to be saved? He says, well, you need to believe. Believe in Jesus, that He's the Son of the living God. You need to repent of your sins. That turnaround point, that change time where we return and come back to God. You need to confess your faith in Jesus. He that confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that with the mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. We need to be baptized, which is immersion in water, at which point God washes away our sins and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to live a life of faithfulness because Revelation 2.10 says, He that is faithful unto death, I'll give the crown of life. Now that's what God says to do in order to be saved. We dare not change that plan. We don't add anything to it. We don't take anything away from it. God says what He means. He means what He says. And the blood of Abel says that faith is the key to true and acceptable worship. We, we, we must do what God says and not what we suppose might serve just as well. And the blood of Abel says that the only true righteousness 
is in obeying the commandments of God. Doing what's right. Ancient Israel, the children of Israel, just failed miserably at this time after time after time. Here's how they tried to walk in their own ways rather than God's ways. And here's how Paul puts it in Romans 10 verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And thousands upon thousands of people in our world today are trying to do that very thing. Trying to establish their own way of righteousness instead of accepting God's way. And it won't work. How many people think, if I'm just a good person and do more good than bad, then my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and and I'll make it to heaven? That's seeking to establish your own righteousness. And it will not work. Never has and it never will. Because how is our righteousness described in Isaiah 64, verse 6? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Filthy rags. That's not going to get us there. So the blood of Abel still speaks and encourages us to obey God's will by doing just what He's commanded us to do. So does the blood of Abel still speak? Yes, it does. Now, in my training as a preacher, I was always taught that every sermon needs to head to Jesus. So let's do that as I bring things to a close this morning. Let's head to Jesus. Because you see, there is another passage in the New Testament that refers to Abel and his blood. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. It tells us that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, does the blood of Abel speak well? Yes, it does. But the blood of Jesus speaks better. Because you see, Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. His blood speaks of sin and death and punishment. But the blood of Jesus It was freely given as a ransom for all that would accept Him as their Lord and Savior. Christ's blood is a cry to our Heavenly Father for mercy to be given. Christ's blood speaks of grace and forgiveness and salvation. Christ's blood can do for us what Abel's blood could never do. Christ's blood can atone for our sin. Christ's blood can save us from our sin. Hebrews 9.22 says what? Without the shedding of blood there is no remission sin. That's right. And Christ shed His blood so our sins could be forgiven. And this morning we've gathered here and we've remembered the blood of Jesus, His body and His blood. And Jesus took that cup and gave thanks and gave it to the disciples and said, Drink ye all of it, for this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Christ's blood speaks better than Abel's blood, but you have to accept it. You must master sin, which is crouching at the door of your heart, just as it was for Cain. He let sin master him rather than he mastering sin, and it cost him his soul. 
Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. What about you? Last Sunday, I asked this question. What command has God given that you are deliberately choosing to disobey in your life? Have you thought about that anymore? So answer this. How far has that sin taken you? And how far will you allow it to take you? How long will you allow that sin to keep you there? Because sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. And how much will that sin cost you if you refuse to master it? Forgiveness is yours if you want it, made possible by the blood of Jesus. But you have to master sin. And you do that by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in the 6th chapter of Romans. This won't be on the screen. But in reference to sin, being your master and you mastering sin. Familiar passage of Scripture. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin, 
and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which do you want? To let sin be your master or Christ? Sin leads to death. Christ can save. Let's stand and sing.